Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's January, folks. Happy, happy new year to all of the listeners and everyone listening afterwards through our archives. Whenever you are listening, a happy new year to you all. Well, I should say to y'all because I'm from Texas, so that's what we do. We have a great show planned for you here today. We have Tova Knacht interviewing Dr. Shmuel Harris. Dr. Shmuel Harris is the head of psychiatry at Hadassah University Hospital of Mount Scopus, and he is also the founder and director of Mechon Dvir. So Tova will uh, be interviewing him, and that'll come up at about 9.20 or so, 9.20 a.m. Eastern. And then we'll also uh, replay Josh Haston. The, uh, he's part of the Land of Israel Network. He interviewed Caroline Glick uh, last week about the UN resolution that passed. Um, so that's certainly an interview that all of y'all would uh, want to hear because it, it pertains to something very important to us. So check that out. That'll probably come up at about 10 a.m. or so. But this week is a uh, bit of a New Year's episode. I think I've got a pretty fun song to start the new year, to start the new show of the new year up. And uh, this week's Four to the Door will be New Year themed, or New Year's themed. So uh, make sure to tune in to that. That'll probably start, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes before uh, the show wraps up. But uh, for now, we're going to kick it back to the music. Here's the song I promised. Mahapecha Shel Simcha. Great song to start the new year. Your tune is the bite size right here on the Nachum Single Network. Oh, I feel that I'm in 
Ani Israel off of Gershon Varoba's Ani Israel new album. Uh, for those of you that missed it, he actually was at the Teaneck Doghouse last Thursday, as were we, for his album release party of this album, the Ani Israel album. And uh, during the release party, as well as you know, over my free time here, I've had a chance to listen to I think the whole album by now. It's a nice new album. I think I actually like Ani Israel is probably my favorite. And uh, at the release album party. He handed out these um, mirrors that actually it, it has like the uh, the photo of his album in the front of the mirror, and then the actual you know you know you open it up and you get a mirror, and it's supposed to you know you look at the mirror on Israel, um, a nice little message there. I put it in my tefillin bag immediately so I could check out my head tefillin and my hair, I guess, but my head tefillin um, when I put it on. But uh, a nice little 
thing there. You're tuned into Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And coming up now is an interview with Tova Knecht, Tova of TovaInIsrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook. You can check her out. She interviewed Dr. Shmuel Harris, the founder and director of Mechon Devir, and he is also the head of psychiatry at Hadassah University Hospital of Mount Scopus. So here is that interview on Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting in Yushalayim with Dr. Shmuel Harris, the founder and director of Mechon Devir, and also the head of psychiatry at Hadassah University Hospital of Mount Scopus. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tova. So when I met you the first time, uh, and I heard about your incredible work you're doing with seminaries and yeshivot in Israel, I thought, ah, this is the perfect interview geared towards parents in this stage, sending their kids off to Israel for their gap year. Uh, Before we talk about the Devere Institute and your incredible work there, can you give us some background, tell the audience who you are? With pleasure. So I was born in Australia. Um, 38 years ago today. Oh, um, it's your birthday? Yeah, well, tonight actually. Happy yeah, birthday. so it's very exciting. And I'm from Melbourne uh, and I moved to Israel 10 years ago, married here, three gorgeous children, one on the way at any stage now, oh, maybe even right now. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. Um, and I did my medical training in Melbourne, uh, did the, the studies there, and then I made Aliyah and I did my psychiatric training residency through Hadassah Hospital, and I continued on uh, assuming the role of the head of the department in Hadassah at Haritz Mount Scopus, uh-huh. uh, and in addition to that, set up my own private practice, and more recently, has set up the uh, the Dvir Institute, or Machon Dvir, which is based here in Yerushalayim. How long has it been? When did you open it? So Machon Dvir opened up formally uh, three months ago. Um, but has been in the making for at least a year and a half, uh, trying to get it um, together and, and realizing it. Baruch Hashem, we did that. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background in terms of, sure. of where it came from, where the idea came from. Um, in my role at Hadassah, so one of the, the roles that I assume is looking after the emergency room and all the psychiatric cases that come there, and there were... A number of cases, too many cases, of young students from the States, from Canada, the UK, Australia, who would be coming to the emergency room with impulsive and self-harming type behaviours. And they'd be brought in by the Madrich, the Enbayit, Rosh Hashiva, who were really extremely concerned uh, and not sure what to do with them. Did they need to be hospitalised? Did they need to be sent home? Usually the the seminaries or the yeshiva would get... um, very nervous and not want to assume responsibility for a kid who has been self-harming. They don't want to assume that risk. And from my perspective, these were really, really good kids who had um, quite significant difficulties, but it's not something that couldn't have been looked after here. And, you know, they'd been waiting for so long to come to seminary, right. to come to Yeshiva, such a formative and fundamental year. And to be sent home halfway through is really a disaster. It's devastating. It's a disaster for for the young adult who's come. It's a disaster for the family. Um, And so this, to me, was was unacceptable because they didn't need to be hospitalised and I didn't think they needed to be sent home either. But they they did need some sort of uh, professional and appropriate support that would allow them to stay here, to stay really in in seminary and yeshiva, because that's what they come for. They haven't come to do therapy. They've come to learn, they've come to grow, uh, and to give them the support that they need in these more complex cases. And that was really where Mechon Tefira came from. Do you find that if the yeshivas and the seminaries are not told ahead of time that they lose trust in the... Families, is it important for the families to give a heads up? 
before they come? That's that's a million dollar question. I think it's a little bit of chicken and egg because the parents are scared often, in my experience, especially with complex cases, to let these seminaries or the yeshivas know. And I say seminaries first because it is predominantly girls, about three to one, who are dealing with these really complex types of issues. Okay. Um, they're, they're scared to even tell the seminary, look, she's had you know therapy for the past two years, which is pretty normal if we think about it. Lots of kids and in terms right. of adolescents are dealing with mental health issues. Kids aren't coming to Israel with endocrine or orthopedic issues as a general rule. There are some, but as a general mm-hmm. but most kids are dealing with issues of mental health in terms of identity and working themselves out and some of the struggles that go along with that and sometimes a bit of anxiety here, a little bit of depression there. It might not be on the on the clinical level, but these are very common issues that all of us are dealing with and especially adolescents are right. dealing with. And that's and so really that the concern is with a lot of the parents that if they are up front and they speak about it with the seminary. Seminaries will say, look, she's, she's not for us. She'll have to go somewhere else. And that they're not actually going to get in the seminary that they want or that any seminary is really the concern. And right. I think that the, the, the battle needs to be fought on a number of levels. Reducing stigma is essential and that mental health is something it's that... It's a taboo issue. It's, it's taboo. It's, it's becoming less taboo, thank God. And I think especially yeah. in the US, you see that people are a lot more open to it in terms of therapy and this, and which is fantastic because it allows people to get help that they need earlier on and preventing issues from developing. Right. But beyond that as well, I think that, um, you know, being open about it and, 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 and when the seminaries know that they've got support of therapists or of a place like Mahondvir, they're going to be more likely to also take on these types of even complex cases. Uh-huh. And that, you know, if you think about the schools back in the States will be more likely to send people as well. If they know, look, we're not sending her for a gap year where it's a gap year in therapy and she doesn't have any support right. or treatment as, and, and can't be looked after, so therefore we should really keep her at home and she'll have to miss out on this year. So we want to reassure really everyone that... Um, that we can provide a support and a service for these more complex type cases that otherwise would have missed out and come into to seminary or yeshiva. Wow, that's a, that's a tremendous undertaking. And the seminaries are in touch with you? The seminaries and yeshivas are in touch with you? Absolutely. I mean, it, it really needs to work hand in hand. Of course, we have a duty of confidentiality to, first and foremost, the client. That means that the girl or the boy who's coming over here, you know, if they say, well, I don't want you speaking to anyone about it, then... Legally, we're not going to speak to anyone about it. Even at times, the parents, if they're saying, look, they're over 18, and it's in terms of us uh, having a, a relationship of trust and confidence that they can really work with us and we can work with them, so we do need to look after confidentiality. Having said that, we are extremely encouraging of having communication between definitely the families back at home and the seminaries here. Because when everyone's on board and there's open communication and people aren't scared to say, look, I've been having these thoughts which are really quite scary, and we say, look, we can we can look after this and provide the support. When everyone's involved, it's a better outcome for, for everyone involved. Well, and are there doctors in the States that are referring their patients directly to you? They're, you're in touch with doctors in the States? Yes, there have been psychiatrists in the US um, and there's also been in terms of psychologists and social workers, really everyone, not just doctors, but everyone who's involved in the mental health field. Uh-huh. I think, um, the, you know, the other goal really of, of Machon um, and I think this is how I practice and try and practice personally anyway, is continuity of care, meaning mm-hmm. that, you know, kids are getting 
some sort of therapy or treatment over in the States. They're coming to Israel. There should be, it shouldn't be a gap year again in therapy. They right. should be coming over here. I should know already what's going on with them to be in touch with their treating physician. Or as a continuation. Their, as a continuation. Yeah. And then when they go back home, to be able to hand them over again. So really, mental health should not be... Um, a me'akev, I guess, something that's holding up or is going to prevent, you know, them to be able to come over here and it should be looked after and we should try and minimise the amount of interference it's going to have for what should really be an amazing year for them over here in Israel. Well, um, what happens to the student that comes here? I, I guess you answered it, that they might end up in the hospital. What happens to the student that comes here without the treatment, you know? So it depends. Often... Um, Thank God today we see that the seminaries and yeshivas are much more on top of kids who are having issues. Even if they haven't been told, they pick up pretty quickly that, you know, if a kid's really struggling, if they're sort of impulsive behavior, um, that they're not really getting on with other kids because of really complex type of relationships that probably have happened back, you know, at home as well. Um, the the Sims will recognize pretty early on and will recommend look it's it's worthwhile to get some sort of therapy right. um, and so that will prevent it from sort of snowballing and, and, and becoming something more serious but of course there are cases where that that doesn't happen either because the Simmer shipper hasn't paid attention or because the student themselves is very good at hiding hiding and and really that's what's so difficult for them and I don't mean in, in a judgmental way at all. They need to function, and they're very good at showing that they can function, but on the inside, they're really struggling. And right. so there's this big disparity that's created between what they're experiencing inside what and outside showing. and what they're showing on the outside. Mm-hmm. So no one really knows what's going on. And then it gets to a point where they just can't hold that anymore. It's it's too difficult. And then they fall apart, and then they fall apart in a big way. So it's not that it's a slow deterioration. Sometimes it's just a boom. Like, that's it. They fall apart. And then in that case, there might be some sort of an event um, or... Uh, some sort of an action that they do is so extreme that it needs to be dealt with here and now in a very, very quick way. And so then that will either be the emergency room if it's a really serious thing or that they'll call straight away, you know, me or another psychiatrist as opposed to trying to deal with a social worker or a, or, or a psychologist. Yeah. We try and avoid extreme situations as much as possible. And the last thing that I want as a doctor is yeah. to have to hospitalize anyone. Now, Baruch Hashem, we're fortunate that you know, if, if there is a need for hospitalization because of my connection with Hadassah, that mm-hmm. we are able to, uh, we're, we're in very close contact with Hadassah Hospital, and that's something that we can use if need be. But okay. I'm hoping never to have to use that, that option. Okay, so the options I was going to ask you now, what are the methods of treatment that Dvir, that Mahon Dvir utilizes? So we primarily use something that's called dialectical behavior therapy, which is a very, very popular therapy in the United States in particular, developed by a woman by the name of Marsha Linehan in, in Washington. Um, that's Washington State, not Washington, <laughs> D.C. Um, and it's, it's an evidence-based therapy which is extremely effective for people who are what we call emotionally dysregulated, find it very difficult to manage their emotions. Mm. They usually um, are, vacillate between the extremes of being either completely cut off and empty and numb or completely overwhelmed with, with negative emotions like anger and rage and fury and disappointment and sadness and all of these very 
unpleasant and overwhelming emotions and anxiety as well. What usually happens in those cases is that people look for ways to manage their emotions um, and they do it in the best way that, that they know how. And sometimes that's an effective and a healthy way and often it's not an effective and a healthy way. So that could be using drugs as a form of self-medication, for instance. Um, Self-harm, such as cutting. Is, is very common as well that will usually convert like a psychological pain to a physical pain and, and ground them and sort of calm them down, as strange as that sounds, but that's something that, that we see. Uh, and DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, is extremely effective in teaching these people skills that they don't have to regulate their emotions more effectively. And I think th the beauty of it is it's a, it's a short time limited um, therapy and Really, if we think about it, we don't have a lot of time. When kids are coming over from, from the US or wherever yeah. it is, at best if they've got nine months of really being in Sem or Yeshiva, and they need skills quickly. They, they can't afford to do a long-term process of what we call Lufgeschäft, talking about just stuff up in the air for long right. periods of time. They need skills. Practical. They need it now. They need practical help, um, and that's what's going to help them have a successful year. In, in certain cases, we would consider using medication as a means of, of trying to help. Um, despite the fact that I'm a psychiatrist, medications are not first line. I think that giving them the skills is the ideal. And we will use medications as a secondary measure if they're really struggling and we need some help maybe a little bit quicker to just help them um, sort of to calm down and to regulate a bit quicker. But ideally, the goal would be give them the skills and if they are on medications, try and get them off the medications as well. And uh -huh. people are generally happy about not being <laughs> on medications. Okay. Um, you can't give me, obviously, detailed stories, but is there a general success story that you can share? Look, I think one of the things that we found, and and this was sort of set up at the time with Dr. Tzachi Freed, uh, who's been practicing DBT for a long time in Israel, and we've worked together closely on a lot of these cases even before Mahon Tver was around. But one of the, the beautiful things that we found since setting up Mahon Tver is the ability to work as an integrated team um, with a number of people and to be able to run groups. Now, groups are not what you think uh, usual, you know, therapy groups where people are talking about all these difficult traumas that they've been through. It's more like a classroom. It's called the skills training group, mm -hmm. where the uh, the people we, we do gender separate. So the girls or the boys will be sent sitting in a in a group, and uh, they'll be learning the skills. And it's been it's evidence based as well to show that the skills training component of dialectical behavior therapy, which there's other components as well, such as individual therapy, yeah. but the skills training component is extremely effective in helping people get better. Uh, and giving them the skills to get better. So there's been cases that we've been dealing with, you know, maybe for the past year, and have been getting better slowly, but once they've started doing the skills, it's made a huge difference in leaps and bounds, and that's really been very gratifying for us as clinicians dealing with these, at times, very tricky types of cases, and all of a sudden seeing a change in a number of weeks. Um, so, for instance, people who have been very... Um, uh, dissociative, which means that they cut off even their bodies here, but their mind somewhere else, and they need to really cut off. This is very common in people who've gone through trauma, uh -huh. and it's a defense mechanism that, in, in terms of not experiencing the trauma, 
they psychologically cut off. So even though they're physically going through a trauma, psychologically they're somewhere else. And this is something that they find very difficult to get over. So they'll continue to dissociate for a long time after the trauma stop. And that's what we call a maladaptive behavior. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help them to all of a sudden find that there's something in another room and they don't know how they got there or... You know, they're not able to connect to their emotions because they're so overwhelmed. And for something like that, we've seen that, you know, the skills groups in terms of teaching things such as mindfulness, which is a very popular type of uh, modality that's being used at the moment, that has really helped these people to calm down, to regulate and to reconnect and to reestablish healthy social relations, to be able to, to study better. Um, it, it's been really, really fantastic. So I think in terms of success for us, Specifically with Mahonfur, the the ability to to you know run groups and to work as a really closely integrated team, um, that's, a that, that's a very big success. And we're talking about you know kids who otherwise would have been sent home. So I think that any person who we're able to uh, to allow them to see the year through in Israel to be able to stay in Sam or Yeshiva is a huge success, and not just for this year. Please God for, for the, the rest pe- of their life, their you future. know, in terms of people right. they end up marrying and the types of families that they have and in terms of their spiritual life and their professional life and their personal and, right. and, and emotional lives. I mean, this is such a critical year. Right. We're dealing with such a special age and a critical juncture in their life that has so many hashlachot, uh, consequences for the rest of their life that we need to get it right. And these kids especially need help in terms of getting it right. So, so call a vote for uh, all your work. Okay, so let's say parents, uh, they're torn right now. They're thinking, I know my child has some mental health you know, issues and uh, they want to give their kid the experience like the rest of, you know, that, that age range, but they're scared to send them. So how do they get in touch with you to discuss uh, the different options? Should they go to the, your website? Is there a way to contact so you? So definitely, I mean, we have uh, Machon Dvir. You can just sort of type it in, but which is spelled like it sounds, www.machondvir.org. Um, what I would say, though, is if we can take a step back, and not just specifically for Machon Dvir, I think what will be relevant to many um, parents who are listening is um, ideally really to be in touch with the seminary or the yeshiva, um, you know, to try and have a, a point person there to say, look, uh, our child is, you know, she's doing well, she has been in therapy in, in uh, the States, and we want her to have a therapist also when she's in, in Israel. And I think you'll find that really many of the, the seminaries are open, and if they're told in advance, uh, what is it, a stitch in time saves nine, <laughs> you know, it really can prevent a lot of uh, these types of issues from developing, for sure. With the more complex issues, so that's something that we would deal with as opposed to an individual therapist. But thank God, you know, most of the kids who are coming aren't dealing with complex issues, but might be dealing with some sort of an issue, and it would be worthwhile for them to be getting therapy while they're here. Therapy shouldn't even be seen as sort of a negative thing. This is a year of tremendous growth. Growth, It's spiritual growth. It's independence. It's also emotional and psychological growth. And to find a good therapist for that year trying to navigate some of the issues of growing up and developing a sense of identity and independence. I mean, for most kids, this is the first time they're out of home. They're away from their parents, you know, in another environment. And they're just trying to work out... Who, who they are, who they want to be. And, you know, they've come, this is a great year to try and, and develop Figure that. You know, they're in a yeah. great environment in seminary or yeshiva to develop themselves spiritually. And to do that with a really healthy emotional basis, I think, 
long term is is fantastic. So you know maybe I'm not gabbed that far, but I really think not even connected to Mahon Tavir, but going to have some sort of therapy as a means of trying to strengthen and clarify and and build themselves is is a healthy process if it's able if it's able to happen and i think that a lot of the the seminaries and yeshivas are aware of it they know it they know in terms of every year and i speak to them and i'm very close with a lot of the heads and they say every year there are more and more cases that they're seeing of kids who need help and you know halavai that we were told before they actually turned up so we could have put things in place to begin with so right. really the best thing that can happen is is to be uh, open and honest about it and to be able to to get the help that they need okay. or just the support that they need kol kavod on everything that you're doing and before i end off i just want to ask you on a personal level um, what's your israel happy place if you're thinking about israel living here you've been here you know many years with your family you know, what's your happy place here? I think that I'm fortunate that I have so many positive associations with this country. I think on, on the simplest level for me, what I love about Israel on a very, very deep level is a feeling that it's home. The feeling that I can walk through any street, wherever it is, whether I'm in Yerushalayim, whether I'm in Tel Aviv, yeah. whether I'm up north in, in Haifa or in some little Yeshuv, there's this feeling of just being connected to the land and connected to the people right. as well. And I love... You know, just being able to walk around and know that that these are my streets and that these are, you know, my people and and just feeling a connection. So I don't think it's even one specific place. And and even though, for instance, you know, I come from Australia and I love Australia. It's a very, very special country. Um, But the biggest difference is that walking around here is home. And these people are home, and and so Israel is special. Oh, that's what it shows. Yeah. But that on, on the simplest true. level, so it's yeah. not just one. But I mean, of course, Yerushalayim, and I live in Yerushalayim. And, but I love the fact that I just walk around, and it's home. And you know, getting off that plane at Ben Gurion and knowing that I like I'm home. So maybe it. a lot of the yeshiva and seminary kids that are coming will have that feeling too, and then they'll want to, you know, live here. Please, make this, please God, we make want. this home. We yeah. want all of our Achenu, you know, B'nai Yisrael um, to, to, be, <laughs> to, to be here as well. That's okay. definitely a part of it. So. Well, thank you for bringing this uh, topic to so many people, and uh, I hope it really resonates with a lot of families in America. Amen. Thank you. Lovely being, being with you and lovely speaking with you. Yeah, Tova. thanks for sitting with me. <laughs> thank you, Yoni. Back to you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Dr. Shmuel Harris. Again, Dr. Shmuel Harris, the founder and director of Mechon Devere and the head of psychiatry at Hadassah University Hospital of Mount Scopus. You can find them at mechondevere.org. And uh, a happy belated birthday to you, Dr. Shmuel Harris. And uh, while the interview was recorded uh, just a bit ago, so uh, he mentioned he had a baby on the way, I could proudly announce that he actually had a healthy baby boy. So mazel tov to you. And uh, Tova, you can find Tova Connect at tovanisrael.com or Tova in Israel on Facebook. Check her out and everything she does uh, to promote the land of Israel and all the wonderful things there. More coming up on Bite Size. For now, we're going to kick it back to some music. Toda off of Benny Friedman's album, Call on Hashem Shali. You're tuned to Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network.
You're sleeping, sleeping, Cosimo, lace a There's a smile deep, deep within you. What's your name, Norina, Rina? This song's for singing, Rina. Shira Maloy, special fashion. Here we go now, here we go again. Oh, you know, you look at home, It's like you're sleeping, sleeping, Cosimo, lace a There's a smile deep, deep within you. What's your name, Norina, Rina? This song's for singing, Rina.
been a lot of places. I've been all around the world, seen a lot of faces, never know where I was on the horizon. Ooh, well I know, I know, I know, I know, so I'll be rising back home. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. Don't forget where you belong. That was Home by the Maccabees. I figured a pretty appropriate song here as uh, we get ready for the next interview. And that is uh, an interview done by Josh Haston of the Land of Israel Network. He spoke with Caroline Glick just last week regarding the UN resolution that passed. So uh, it's a bit of a longer interview. Runs about a half hour or so, but a lot to learn from it. So here's Josh Haston with Caroline Glick. Things are actually heating up. Thanks to the UN Security Council, by now I'm probably sh- sure you've heard about UNSC 2334, uh, just a, an all-out attack on Israel, its legitimacy, its connection, its history, 
And who better to join us to talk about the situation, what it means for us here in Israel, what it means for Jews across the world. Carolyn Glick, Jerusalem Post, senior contributing editor, columnist, and author of The Israeli Solution, A One-State Plan for Peace in the Middle East. Carolyn, welcome to Israel Uncensored here on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Thanks so much for having me on your program, Josh. Good to have you back on the show. Wish it was under better circumstances without this barrage against the state of Israel. And we'll get right to it. Front page of today's Jerusalem Post. Jerusalem fears Obama will cause more harm. In other words, Mm -hmm. things could possibly get worse if we thought the U.N. Security Council resolution was just the beginning. Not so. With just two and a half, three weeks left in his administration, maybe things can get worse. Uh, What are your thoughts on uh, that report? I think that there's a strong likelihood that that's going to happen. I think uh, that, um, look, the Obama administration waited eight years for this lame duck period um, to uh, take action against Israel. And the period has come, and now they're doing it. They're executing a program that uh, has been uh, waiting to be executed for a long time, and that's what they're doing now. And it's uh, it's really ugly, and it's really disgusting. And, you know, obviously there's a lot to be said about that, but I don't know exactly which direction we're going to take it. So, no, so I, I want to know, just practically on, on the ground, um, you know, how, how can uh, Israel be harmed even further? I know this is a non-binding Security Council resolution, and we're, we, reports of maybe John Kerry giving a uh, administration speech, which could lead to even right. another UN Security Council resolution, even even harsher than this one. Where do you see this heading? Oh, I can see that going there. Um, I can see him. Um, you know, he was when he was stymied last Thursday when uh, uh, the government of Israel and the Trump administration intervened with Egypt and got the Egyptians to shelve their resolution. Um, uh, Kerry was actually en route to New York to give a speech uh, to explain why the, the, the U.S. Uh, you know, supports this, uh, supported this onslaught against Israel. Um, so he didn't come on Friday when they got it done with the, uh, with the Venezuelan government and the Senegalese and the New Zealand and, and, um, and Malaysia. Uh, but uh, now he's going to come and and give his valedictory uh, speech against Israel. And so, first of all, we know that he was planning on giving a speech. And uh, one of the things that has been bandied about for years is that the administration was going to seek a Security Council resolution to try to bind Israel into uh, parameters of an agreement uh, that would require us to uh, to, to remove ourselves to the 1949 armistice lines, um, and, um, pretend that those were borders and pretend that, uh, those are defensible borders. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is where they're going. So back to the actual, uh, resolution, which was passed, thanks to the abstention by the United States, our prime minister Netanyahu pointing directly at the Obama administration right. for this, um, summoning U.S. Ambassador Dan Shapiro to his office to protest the vote. Um, what significance does that move ha- have? Apparently, it's it's pretty rare to summon the U.S. ambassador uh, to his residence, and then he summoned others on Christmas Day yesterday. Uh, how rare is right. that, and what does that say about the significance of uh, how the prime minister is feeling uh, these days about uh, about what's going on? 
Well, I mean, I think that the prime minister is justifiably enraged by what the Americans are doing because uh, the Obama administration, uh, with 24 days left, is uh, tearing apart the U.S.-Israel alliance. Um, you know, I mean, Obama has been systematically destroying the American alliance structure in the Middle East uh, since he took office. Uh, he betrayed Israel. He betrayed the Sunnis. All of the anchors of the American alliance system, the Pax Americana in the Middle East, have been torn asunder by Obama over the past eight years. And now he's taking a wrecking ball to uh, the U.S. alliance with Israel uh, in order to uh, in order to harm us. I mean, that's what he did to Egypt. That's what he's been doing to the Saudis. That's what he's done to every American allied country um, in the Middle East uh, <clears throat> since he came into office. And now he's doing this uh, last sort of coup de grace. And, and, and the thing about it is, um, of course, that the uh, government has been stating pointedly is that um, you know, this is this is deeply hypocritical uh, that they're doing it at a time when the Americans have enabled the genocide in Syria, the uh, depopulation of Sunni Syria and the rise of ISIS in Iraq and in Syria. Uh, and, of course, the reestablishment of, of Russian power in the Middle East for the first time since the 1980s. Um, so this is uh, this is hypocritical. But I think it's also important to point out this is also uh, two other things. One is that it's immoral. Um, you know, this is evil. Uh, what they're doing, they're they're fighting with mass murderers, jihadists, people who want to annihilate the Jewish people, people who want to annihilate the United States, um, and they're doing it uh, against the people who side have always sided with the United States and who are trying to preserve human life and some sort of uh, something. That, bearing close resemblance to civilization uh, in the Middle East. Um, and so it's evil. And and the last thing is that it's also a betrayal of the United States. I mean, he is harming, he's causing direct harm, he's endangering America by what he's doing so that um, this is not just a betrayal of Israel, and it's a very profound betrayal of Israel. It's very dangerous for Israel. But he's basically setting the world on fire, um, in a way that's uh, fundamentally dangerous to the United States. Um, so this is really amazing. I mean, what we're seeing right now—it's—it's—it's it's, it's dangerous. It's—it's—it's um, uh, it's, it's fraught, and um, you know, and and it's difficult to see that you know you have the Trump administration taking form, and yet until January 20th, they are utterly powerless to do anything other than act like a lobbying firm, you know, to try to get uh, allies to stand up to the United States uh, itself uh, when the president of the United States is acting in this way. The resolution itself, Carolyn, um, how could it possibly have, from a practical perspective, a negative impact on Israel? The passing of the resolution, um, what could it mean here in, in the short term, for the the people of Israel, specifically for the residents of Judea and Samaria, how will this resolution, if at all, affect the lives of those living here? Well, when it does, is it essentially gets a green light to the Palestinians to murder Jews. Um, that that's that's essentially what it does. It gives a it gives a strong backwind to all the terrorist organizations, including the PLO, 
and, you know, the Fatah Central Committee, right, they just had elections, and they elected Marwan Barghouti, who is a convicted mass murderer, sitting in Israeli prison for five counts of, of murder of civilians, uh, which was just a pittance of what he's actually responsible for, but they were the only murders that they could uh, directly link him to, that he was the architect of as the uh, commander of the Palestinian Jihad against Israel under Yasser Arafat from 2002 to 2002 when he was arrested. Um, and then the second place contender was Jibril Raju, who um, called, he said that if he had a nuclear bomb that he would use it against Israel. I mean, this was Brunji, who actively supports genocide against Israel and is the head of the Palestinian sports or soccer soccer administration or whatever, he took active measures over the past year to get Israel ejected from FIFA, uh, soccer league. Um, so I mean, this he's against peace, and so he's number two. And he was he was uh, he was uh, elected or he came in second because of his activity against Israel. And uh, Marwan Barghouti came in first because he's a mass murderer. So you know, these are the people that are now getting a a push from Obama. They're the ones who are being empowered by Obama uh, here uh, directly. And of course, uh, indirectly, all the forces of jihad, the manifold forces of jihad, both in the region and in the West, are being empowered by this resolution. Yeah, the question so I have then is... He's essential. So, so the point is that the direct, the direct, immediate impact of this resolution is that he's essentially asking the Palestinians to reinstate the terror war against Israel, yeah. the betting the murder of Jews. Why then does our prime minister time and time again say, I guess at least publicly, that he's willing to sit anytime, anywhere with Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Fatah, uh, the head of the Palestinian Authority, when these are the people who uh, are surrounding him and he himself is guilty of causing and creating uh, blood libels against the Jews here in Israel and, and around the world. Why, why, even, why even say, if you're the Prime Minister of Israel, I'm willing just to show that you're willing uh, to negotiate peace, to show that you're the peaceful party? Why even mention it if these are the jihadist terrorist murderers who we're dealing with? Well, you know, he did it because he was facing the most hostile American administration Israel's ever seen. And so he was trying to parry the threat. Uh, than, Amer- than America under the Obama administration has been has been wielding against Israel to do exactly what they're doing at the Security Council for eight years. Um, so he was trying to get out from under American pressure by adopting, to the extent he had to, America's positions on uh, the Palestinians, we're saying, by continuing to give legitimacy to this murderous terrorist authority because um, he was trying to stave off American pressure. Now, you know, in retrospect of of, uh, 48 hours or whatever it's been since the Americans began their anti-Israel offensive overtly at the Security Council, you know, you can question whether that was the right policy. I was just thinking about it this morning, whether what Obama's doing means that what we did to try to stave off his offensive against us for eight years was the right policy or not. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I come down on that because I'm not sure what our, what other choice we had. Right. I mean, what we're experiencing now would have, would have happened, you know, any time since 2009 um, if we had taken any other action. But, does, uh, you know, this is something that's for you really have to sit down and think about very deeply to try to 
come to a conclusion about that. But that is the reason that mm-hmm. uh, Netanyahu has been making has has had this policy since it was coerced, since the Americans coerced him to adopt it in 2009 when he made the Bar Ilan speech in September. So, you know, that that's the rationale for what Israel has been doing. And now we're just seeing that um, every all the fears, all the anxieties that we had that Obama was going to use this opportunity as a lame duck to advance a policy that he couldn't possibly sell to the American people who oppose it, um, that's exactly what's happening. Now, the silver lining of, of what's going on here isn't, is that the that the clock keeps ticking, and that regardless of what he does and the and the forces, the dogs of war that he's unleashing now and empowering now, um, that they're going to be facing a completely uh, different American administration in 24 days. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, time does pass no matter what; it never stands still. And he does only have 24 days left, and he is going to do act two of this and i wouldn't be surprised if he's also doing other things behind the scenes that we don't see in terms of all of the israeli uh, military and strategic secrets that the americans that we've shared with the united states i wouldn't be at all surprised if those were um compromised in some way over the next 24 days and we have to be very wary of that but um, publicly um he's doing what he's been threatening to do and uh so we have to be planning for the day after, but we also have to, right now, be absorbing blow after blow after blow from Obama over the next 24 days. You mentioned, Carolyn, just a few minutes ago that this resolution is damaging and dangerous, not only for Israel, mm-hmm. but for the United States. And I think right. you said something on your Facebook page, I believe it was yours, I hope I'm not uh, misquoting, that those who should really be worried are the U.S. Jews, the Jews in the United States, not just the right. Jews here. I think that was you that said that. If you can't expand yes. on that thought. Right. So the thing with the American Jews is twofold. One is, um, here is the time to really say we told you so, right? I mean, and, and I think that they deserve to be to be having that place, you know, pushed in their faces right now that you had 78% of American Jews uh, supporting Obama in 2008 despite the overwhelming evidence already then that he was an anti-Semite. This is a man who was an active member in an anti-Semitic church in Chicago under Jeremiah Wright's leadership for 20 years. Uh, this is a man who uh, comported with terrorists, with Bernadine Dorn and with Bill Ayers, who uh, dedicated their book, uh, the Weather Underground's book, uh, to, to Sirhan Sirhan, the Palestinian terrorist who assassinated Robert Kennedy because mm-hmm. of his support for Israel. Um, you know, this is a man who was uh, close friends with Rashid Khalidi, who was a Palestinian, who was a professor and, and a PLO member and propagandist. Um, so his legion uh, ties to terrorism were already known. His, his support for anti-Semites at a minimum were already public knowledge, and the American Jewish community uh, pretended away because they wanted to vote for him for president. And then the most appalling thing is that after he already had developed a record as the most hostile American president to Israel and to Jewish interests in the United States, in his first term, they again reelected him by some 70% margin, so that they deserve to to really be called on their insanity for supporting a man who was such an enemy of the Jewish people. But looking forward, look, I mean, what are the forces that are still going to be empowered after 
Republicans maintain control over the Senate and the House and after they take over the White House. Um, well, those are all of the liberal institutions. They're the universities. Um, they're the uh, entertainment, uh, you know, uh, uh, FOSA in the United States and, and all the rest of popular culture. Mm-hmm. And these are getting a backwind from the UN Security Council so that BDS operations and campuses must are curbed by the Republican House and Senate uh, through ending funding for universities that enable it. Um, but the BDS forces on campuses are going to now feel emboldened to even further uh, terrorize Jewish students on campus. The left in the United States, uh, the non-elected left and grassroots leftists are going to embrace whole hog anti-Semitism, as we see with the rise also of Keith Ellison, the uh, Nation of Islam member and the supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood, who's now the uh, front runner to take over the Democratic National Committee. And so all of the institutions that American Jewry has uh, really wanted to be a part of and to make their political home in and their activist home in are now, as a result of what Obama's doing in his last month in office, becoming openly uh, anti-Semitic uh, forces. And so, you know, this is bad for American Jews, whether they're on the left or not. Um, and, I mean, to have such a significant constituency in the United States emboldened by a president who's soon to become their leader as an activist, as a former president, being openly anti-Semitic, openly hostile for the Jewish state um, and to American interests more broadly, um, this is very, very bad for American Jews. This places them in, in a perilous situation that they really have never been in before. And and again, uh, this is so much of this is their own fault for refusing to read the writing on the wall, for refusing to heed the warnings, for refusing to understand that uh, they are a minority in the United States and their first and foremost uh, interest should be to defend their rights as a minority in the United States uh, through, among other things, uh, supporting Israel against a hostile administration. And their failure to do that has placed them, first and foremost, in the crosshairs of this of this dragon that Obama is, uh, is uh, fueling with his actions this month. It would be interesting to see if there were a third or a potential third Obama term, another election, how many, even at this point, how many Jews in the U.S. would still vote for Obama after all well, this? Well, we know that because uh, Hillary was, of course, his stand-in in the right. last election. And uh, I think, again, it was 70% of American Jews voted Crazy. For, for Clinton. Insane. So they haven't learned. And, and also you see, um, for American Jews, not in the leadership, but how dangerous this is with two things. One is that the, Amer- the Anti-Defamation League uh, has become ho-on, a, a, a member of the far-left activist uh, groups, uh, their initial support for Keith Ellison, and then they're going after uh, Steve Bannon, who's one of the strongest uh, pro-Israel voices in the incoming Trump administration, and their false, libelous claims that he's an anti-Semite. And then with the American Jewish Committee, of all things, now pairing with CARE, which is a Muslim Brotherhood organization, um, to form some sort of an inter- religious uh, committee that is supposed to be lobbying to prevent the incoming Trump administration from limiting Muslim immigration to the United States, despite what we see throughout Europe and even in the United States, which is that 
there's no ability to vet these people who are coming into Western countries, and many of them, many, many of them are jihadists. And uh, and so here is the American Jewish Committee fighting, pairing with, partnering with CARE, which is a Muslim Brotherhood organization that supports Hamas uh, uh, in order to protect the rights of these uh, of the uh, of, of uh, Muslims to freely immigrate into the United States. Um, th- these people have just lost it. I mean, they lost the plot. They don't understand what they're doing. They've forgotten that their primary duty uh, is to the Jewish community of the United States, and um, they are sacrificing their communal standing, their communal rights, their freedoms, uh, in order to uh, somehow or another uh, remain part of the left, even though under Obama, as we see today, uh, the left is becoming openly overtly uh, hostile to Jewish interests in Israel and, and throughout the world. Yeah, you would, you would think that things would change after 9-11 uh, back in 2001 in terms of mentality. They have it, changed after 9-11, haven't they? They've become demonstrably worse. Yeah, I guess right? so. I mean, They've become uh, worse. You know, on but... September 10th, 2001, 2001, September 10th, you know, the, the uh, willingness of, of Americans to cater to their haters jihadist haters were much smaller than it is today and so you know you you have to see that the the worst thing is that you know uh, osama bin laden uh is triumphing it's he he triumphs every time that the americans turn their backs on the victims of jihad uh and the and the uh, the targets of jihad and side with the jihadists against the targets and that's what they're doing with Israel. That's what they're doing in Syria. That's what they're doing in Iraq. That's what, of course, they're doing in Iran um, and throughout the world. Um, and this is really devastating. And it's a terrible thing to behold. It's a terrible thing to witness. And most importantly, Josh, it's extremely dangerous. So what we have to do is um, very quickly, Israel needs to put together and begin implementing a policy that has zero tolerance for jihadists, that has zero tolerance for enablers of jihad, particularly the UN, because you know the, the Trump administration is not going to be to the right of Israel on any of these issues. And so it has to follow a lead. And now that we are finally uh, freed of the necessity of paying lip service to Obama and pretending away his hatred of us, um, over the next three weeks, it, the government of Israel has to put together a very clear policy of what we're going to do regarding the UN, um, what we would anticipate and request of the Trump administration to do in regards to the UN, in regards to the, the Palestinians, and in regards to um, and in regards to Iran, so that they have somebody to follow. I mean, we have to be further to the right, more strong than we would expect them to be, because if we want them to be able to begin to repair the damage, the massive, massive damage that Obama has, has, has caused over the past eight years that he is causing now, the mayhem he is causing now in his last weeks in, in power, we have to be clear about where we want to go, not only in regards to the Palestinians, but in regards to the U.N., and the uh, NGOs that are funded by European governments whose goal is to subvert, undermine, uh, and paralyze Israel. These are all things that have to take place now. It's, the urgency couldn't be greater. 
um, this is our time to to break forth and, and lead. Um, and, and we must because our lives are, are hanging in the balance. And this is what Obama is enabling. This is what Obama is empowering. And this is what Obama is is working towards. On that note, very last question, if you can comment quickly. You just mentioned what you believe Israel needs to be doing uh, on a government mm-hmm. level. The average Israeli who is seeing all this unfold on social media, in the, in the press, what can the average Israeli do to help fight this injustice, to help fight uh, these last three weeks of the administration which seeks to harm the state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel. What can the average Israeli sitting at home, armed with Twitter, with Facebook, with a pen, what can people do? Well, we have to, on, on our social media, in our presence, in, you know, in the expanding concentric circles that go out in waves, um, we have to firmly support uh, the immediate January 21st transfer of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. We have to firmly and outspokenly support um, uh, the, the uh, Israeli sovereign rights in Judea and Samaria and the need now that the Palestinians have turned their back completely on the peace process by pushing this U.N. Security Council resolution um, we have to call for the administration of Area C, the area that has all of the uh, Jewish communities of Judea and Samaria in them, uh, on, that they have to be administered now by the by Israeli law, not by military law. We have to call for, we have to denounce Obama, have mm-hmm. to make very clear without stuttering and without hemming and hawing that this man is hostile not only to Israel, but to America, to the very survival of Western civilization, and uh, that uh, we support Donald Trump in any means that he takes to repudiate Obama's dangerous, harmful, hostile, anti-Semitic legacy, anti-American legacy in the Middle East. I think that the more that people hear this from Israelis, from Jews, the more unified we are in our statements about these issues, the stronger our voice will be. We need to empower the Trump administration. We need to empower the Israeli government to take the bold steps necessary to destroy Obama's harmful, terrible, dangerous legacy of hate for the West, of hate for Jews, and of support for jihadists. This is something that we all have to do. This is something we can all do. And this is something that we must do now. Carolyn Glick, analysis that you're getting nowhere else. Jerusalem Post senior contributing editor, columnist, and author of The Israeli Solution, A One-State Plan for Peace in the Middle East. A good friend. I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're extremely busy, especially now with everything going on. Looking forward to reading your column in Tuesday's Jerusalem Post. I'm sure it's going to cover a lot of this, so I'm looking forward to that. It's all going on, and it's also going on is uh, celebrating Hanukkah with with my family. And I think all of us should also understand that this is Hanukkah. This is the time that we remember when a small Jewish band of fighters was able to defeat the Greek Empire and preserve Judaism and uh, uh, um, and preserve uh, our temple. And we have to take an example from our forefathers and understand that it doesn't matter how few we are in number, we can overcome the greatest odds if we believe in ourselves and we stay true to who we are. 
uh, we can do this. This is not beyond our capacity, and we have every reason to be proud of who we are and and to educate our children to be feel privileged that they're Jews and that we have our country and that we must work to preserve it as the Maccabees did uh, uh, back uh, thousands of years ago. I'm aimed to that. Okay. Thanks so much All for right. your time, Take Carolyn. Care. All the best. All right. Have a great day and enjoy the holiday. Hanukkah Sameach. Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break, folks. Be right back. This is Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. That's just an amazing analysis. I mean, if you wanted to understand what this U.N. Security Council resolution is all about and you missed any of that, go back and listen to it again. I mean, that's 20 minutes or so that you're just not getting anywhere else other than here on the Land of Israel Network. Amazing analysis from the one and only Carolyn Glick. We'll take a short break and thank our sponsors. Coming right back, Josh Haston here. Get in touch with me during the week. Josh at thelandofisrael.com. On Twitter, at Josh Haston. And on Facebook, it's Joshua Haston. Short break. We'll be right back. The story of Hanukkah recalls the miraculous victory of a small band of patriots against tyranny and the oil that burned for eight nights. Like the Maccabees, we must vigilantly oppose religious prejudice. A band of Maccabees who inspire us even today. They were outnumbered, they were outarmed, and yet they proved that freedom can prevail over tyranny. When God kept the oil in the eternal flame burning for eight days, he gave us the miracle of Hanukkah. A holiday of hope and rededication for every Jewish family. Happy Hanukkah from the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. The best place to stay in Jerusalem is at Windows of Jerusalem Vacation Apartments. Check out their website, www.windowsofjerusalem.com. They've got beautiful one, two, three, four bedroom apartments in the best location in the city center with the most beautiful, breathtaking views. And I mean breathtaking. I've stayed there a number of times myself. And I'm telling you, there are few places anywhere in the city where you can take it all in to this degree. The view, the location, the great apartments, plus the wonderful staff will truly make you feel at home in Jerusalem. Book your stay now at windowsofjerusalem.com. And we are back. Josh Easton here. Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Again, I can't stress enough. If you missed the first half of the show, go back and listen to the words of Carolyn Glick, expert analysis on the UN Security Council, anti-Israel UN Security Council resolution, and what we can and should be doing now in these last few weeks of a hostile U.S. administration. The Prime Minister himself and other government officials, everyone is pointing their finger at Obama, saying he is the one who introduced the language of the anti-Israel, anti-Judea and Samaria resolution. He is the one behind it. You know, you have all these other countries who voted for it, and you can lay the blame with those countries as well for approving it. But the U.S. for years has been vetoing this type of language. The U.S. committed to keep vetoing these types of resolutions. And not only did they not veto it, but the sources indicate that it was the president himself, President Obama, John Kerry, Secretary of State, and his administration. They were responsible for drafting this anti-Israel resolution. Just want to 
uh, end on uh, one other note here to show you the impact. And Carolyn mentioned what this does, uh, the impact of the resolution, how it emboldens the terrorists. And well, let's go to Palestinian Media Watch here. If you look, uh, if you follow the uh, the media in Arabic as they do, it says here, Itamar Marcus says, three days ago, Fatah's official Facebook page posted a drawing of a map of Palestine, of course, the entire country of Israel. Uh, they mark as Palestine, Tel Aviv, Haifa, the whole country, not just Judea and Samaria. It's painted like a Palestinian flag being used to stab the word settlement. Again, referring to the entire country, very important. And the text above the image says, hashtag Palestine will defeat the settlement, meaning it will destroy this, the entire state of Israel. That was the image from a few days ago. Then the UN Security Council resolution was passed, and the image now is has changed. The image now is Fatah uh, thanking the 14 countries for their UN vote. The countries are listed in the image because they interpret the UN as granting Fatah permission to kill Israelis. It's actually, he, he rephrases it, let's be clear, Marcus, Marcus phrases it in the form of a question. Is Fatah thanking them because they interpret it to get to, to have permission now to kill Israelis? Um, I see it as that. I, as Carolyn mentioned it as well. I mean, this emboldens the terrorists and emboldens their mission to wipe the entire area of all its Jews in all parts of the country. I think it's crystal clear what the message is now, thanking those countries. But um, any way you interpret it, Fatah is saying more Israelis will pay with their lives as a result of the UN resolution. Just an example, just several days after of what harmful effects the resolution has, uh, the incitement towards hatred, the green light, as Carolyn said, to carry out acts of terror against the Jews here in the land of Israel. And Jews around the world need to be wary as a result of this resolution, whether it's the BDSers on campus who will, uh, could interpret this as a green light or those who want to carry out physical violence, uh, jihadist attacks against Jews wherever they are. Please God, it shouldn't happen. And let's finish off as Carolyn did on the positive. It is Hanukkah. The few defeated the many back in the day. Let's be like the Hashmonaim. Let's be like our ancestors who rose up despite all the odds and did what was necessary to maintain our existence, to maintain our heritage and our legacy and our rights to this land, to the land of Israel. And let's all be safe as I always leave you with that message between now and next time when we speak, um, get in touch with me during the week. If you have any questions for myself or for Carolyn, I'm happy to pass those on. Josh at thelandofisrael.com. On Facebook, it's Joshua Haston. On Twitter, at Josh Haston. Chag Sameach. Enjoy the Festival of Lights or whatever you are celebrating this time of year. And that interview was courtesy of the Land of Israel Network. You can check them out on thelandofisrael.com. They have uh, plenty more interesting interviews regarding the land of Israel and everything going on there politically and, and just in general uh, throughout the year. So check them out again on thelandofisrael.com. More coming up on Bite Size, but I hand it off now to Lenny Solomon with the song Aliyah Dream off of the album Lenny Solomon's Stories from the Holy Land. You're tuned into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network.
And that was No De La Shimchoff of Lipa Schmelzer's The Hidden Spark album. Uh, the reason I played that is because in about less than a month, no, is it more than a month this year? What about, whatever, about a month or so from now is the Super Bowl. And as you know, when the Super Bowl comes, that means we have our kosher halftime show. And last year, Lipa Schmelzer was our uh, kosher halftime show star, and No De La Shimcha was one of the songs. And uh, while we haven't announced a kosher halftime show star for this year, I can assure, ensure you that our staff here at the Nachum Siegel Network is working on it. And speaking of our staff... Now, Ashur. Oh, Ashur, Ensure. Yes, because you're not giving out anybody insurance. Well, uh, maybe I do insurance on the side. <laughs> you don't know. But speaking of our That's staff... That's fair point. As you can hear, Miriam O'Wallach joins us. How are you, Yoni? I am great. How are you? I think I'm very well. That's good. And I know you're excited for this week's Four to the Door. And that's I right. I certainly am. Miriam joins us for Four to the Door. This week, Jamie Turkel. I told you it was a Hanukkah miracle last week that she joined us yes. last week. She's not here with us this week. And what I mean by she's not here with us. <laughs> she's actually. She's just, you know, not joining us on air. Right. She is, thank God she's still here with us. Right. She's actually not even here. Correct. Right. But, um, you know, sometimes people get sick over this time. It's a little colder. Yeah. Jamie is. Uh... She's batting a thousand in the healthy department. <laughs> yeah, that's <for> certain. <laughs> yeah, poor kid. So, uh, but Jamie did give us her top four to the door. Miriam has written down her top four. I have my top four. This week's four to the door. I just want to thank you again for inviting me. That's oh, my pleasure. <laughs> it's actually funny. I'm so, also the only other person here. Yeah, I know. Okay. So uh, we don't have to tell anyone that. Uh, I just want to make that clear. Yeah, it wasn't like I, you know. I invited you. It's not like you're just randomly joining the show. No, I, I've done that. Right. right. You have done that, but now it's an invite, so uh, exactly. I do Thank appreciate you. it. But this week's Four to the Door is top four. Uh, I think we're going to do, it's like top four healthy habits for 2017. I actually wrote go. down 2016. I'm still writing down, and, and in like my notes for like different shows that I'm working on, whatever, I'm writing down 16 still. I'm like, oh, got it. Got to scratch that habit, speaking well, of habits. I know the first couple of checks that I'm going to write are all going to say oh, 2016. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you feel the same way? You're yeah, writing no in a lot of checks. I mean, oh. Oh, yeah. You're tons, a check writer. Check. I uh-huh. told you insurance, you know? Yeah, exactly. With? Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. You even know how to fill out a check? Uh, oh, some, my somewhat. gosh. No, Yoni. I have to pay somewhat? for rent. But now, but now my roommate's letting me do Venmo. You know this app? I don't even know what that is. So you could like attach your bank account to uh, this Venmo, and you could just hand off money to anyone, and it goes through your bank account. So who needs checks, you know? Who needs money? Right. Who needs cash? It's like Monopoly. It's actually bad because it's just like, oh, I'll just Venmo right. you. And it's like, you're not really keeping track. But Is that a verb? I'll Venmo you? It's like, yeah, you know, Twitter, Venmo, all, all these things have become verbs. And Fascinating. Yeah. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll get there one day. We'll, no. we'll teach you. You like you got a, a shirt that had some sort of like, new did. lingo now. Yeah, I love my Hanukkah present. Thank you, Yoni. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie at Rusty Brick asked me today if I use Spotify. I'm like, use Spotify. I don't even I don't even do the upgrade on Pandora. <laughs> use Spotify. Yeah, I'm not I play cool on TV, but I'm not really that hip. Yeah. I don't Spotify. I, I just use the knockoff. It's not network. a verb. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm listening to the stream all day. So what difference does it Who make? needs Spotify? Who needs Spotify? When you got Mark Zomic. <laughs> when you need Mark that's exactly. for sure Mark Zomic, the man. Anyway, top four healthy habits for twenty seventeen. I mentioned last week that I plan on going on a diet. Mm-hmm. Um, starting, so, so I mentioned I it was, starting yesterday, right? and then like you know maybe I'll start today. Oopsie we'll figure daisies. it out when we. Yeah, you, I had like I bought these wings the other like week, 
you know those it was like i think meal mart wings that like you could just put them in the freezer and then you and they were they were still in the freezer i was like i have to finish them now i can't leave them for another like two months when i'm off this diet eventually so you're like, a martyr so i ate a lot of wings last you're night. a martyr you took one for the team they were great i'm happy you enjoyed them at least if you're gonna eat like that you might as well enjoy them exactly but now we're gonna change to healthy habits because of our right but can i ask you a question Go for don't it. i get a pass on well i already have a number out of everyone in this studio I have the most healthy habits. So so now I'm curious to see what other four habits you're going to exactly. come up with. Exactly. I had to really struggle on this one. Okay. So we'll like, see. What was I going to change? I'll judge them. Okay. And of course, any other week, um, if anyone has any comments, suggestions, or anything on the Ford of the Door, please email me at yoniandachamsegal.com or leave an app on the app. An app comment. An app comment uh-huh. on the app. Yeah, that would make more sense, at least uh, grammatically <laughs> and Englishly. You were an English teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So you're probably hating my... Uh, I have a master's in English. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm sorry. That it's okay. It's okay. Time. It's okay. But yeah, leave a comment. Send me an email. Yoni and uh, I will be sure to answer. So here we go. Top four to the door. Top four healthy habits for 2017. Uh, Jamie's not here. I'm going to read hers first. All, All four? four? All oh, four okay. Hers first. We'll nitpick We're a bit. We're deviating. And uh, we'll go from there. So okay. number four on Jamie's list is stretch every morning. Oh, that's actually important. a good one. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Um, I don't know if I'll partake in that because every morning I'm kind of in a rush. Right. But uh, that that is certainly a good one. Number three on our list is eat healthier. Um, now, in, on my list, I kind of went That should be specific. all four points right. for you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need that, anything else. Just repeat yeah. that four times. I mean, I, literally, I'm looking at my list and three of them are the eat healthier section. Oh, so, so uh, we'll oh. see. Number two on our list is work out four times a week. That's good. That's great. That's good. I'm going to hope to up that number before times a week. That's good. And number one on her list is drink more water. Now, wow. I assume that's um, to replace like soda or I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't remember. Does she drink so much soda in the studio? I don't think so. No, no, because she's too busy with her fruit by the foot. Right. Right. So it's a <laughs> little bit hard. So fruit being fine. the operative word. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think she drinks. Like, I think Spelled she only drinks O's. water here. So maybe at home. Um. Yeah, I guess. Or in general, just overall throughout her day. Yeah. But that's a good list, Jamie. That is a good list. Good list. Good start to the new year. Mm-hmm. All right. So now now we are going to go back and forth. Okay. Number four, three, two, one. Uh, I'll start with my number four. Okay. okay? <laughs> I'm going to ask you. Okay. <laughs> my number four is no desserts. By the way, did I spell dessert right? Is I it don't, with two I, S's? Yes. Because okay. desserts, you always want doubles. Oh, well, not not, not this yes, year. Yes, no, of course not, not. So that was my number four. What do you have? My number four, and this is only ironic because I'm holding a cup in my hand, is I'm going to dr- drink less coffee. Drink? Is there like a thing that like if you drink more coffee, it's not good for you in terms of Well, health? I definitely do not. I, I, I know for certain that it is not helping my, um, my, uh, uh, um, yeah, reflux. Right. Okay. Right. So I need to get rid of that. Okay. So I'm going to lessen that. I feel like I've noticed over the last month you've, you've done a little less. Yes. Consciously? Yep. And I've changed my order in the morning because I go to the, I go get coffee before I go to the gym. That helps with my workout. Right. But I am consciously check, changing that. Okay. So so that, okay, you found one so mm-hmm. far. Right. Keeping in mind that I go to the gym six times a week. Right. I don't eat any gluten. I don't eat any red meat. I don't eat any chicken. I don't drink soda. I don't like nosh. I don't eat candy. So really, I am no fun so whatsoever. What right. So I told to you this was hard. Stay tuned. We're about to find exactly. out. Exactly. So you I'm going to drink want, less you, coffee. Okay. Now you go with number three. Okay. Number three, and this is going to sound possibly funny to you, but I'm going to get to shul more. Right. And I'll tell you why. Okay, yeah. Right. I'll tell you why this is a healthy habit, because people who are involved in community and people who are involved in organized prayer and people who interact on a consistent basis with other people outside of their work and outside of their family 
live longer and healthier lives. Studies have shown Hmm. being part of a community is a very important thing. So I extended the healthy habits topic to also mental health, healthy topics. And I think that, you know, being part of a community is very, very important. And I'm going to make an effort to get to shul more. Right. So I think for me, um, I get to shul less. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, I just got to focus on physical health because. You know, we'll do mental health a different year. Let's, okay. let's go one step but at a time. But just know here. that your physical health and your mental health go hand in hand. Right. Well, thank God I go to school and yeah, exactly. You know, I'm so a, you're I'm doing that already. That, so. And you're already drinking less coffee. Yes. Yes. I don't really drink coffee. at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually I drink like enough coffee. for both of you. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like everyone here in the studio. Exactly. That is true. All right. Number three for me is uh, no candies. Just avoid candy at all costs. Sugary. You know, the sour sticks. And I'm, I'm not really a candy guy, but when I see like a uh, whenever someone goes to Israel and brings back those like Israeli candies or like yep. any of those. It's like, how do you not take? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just about avoiding those at all costs, and, okay. and that's not too hard. It, it shouldn't I don't, be too hard. Just follow me. Yeah, just, I'm not eating any of it. It's not even like I, I, uh, I don't crave it. Right, I don't crave. That's actually the exact word. I don't right. crave those candies, but when it's there, it's like it's there. Right, Eat. it's got to have to not be there. Yeah, until you're able to just walk by it and say, no, not for me. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to work on. That's my number three and go number ahead. two on my list, which will actually maybe help, is. Uh, Snacks. Now, what I mean by snacks is that instead of uh, opening up a bag of chips mm-hmm. or pretzels or whatever, it's going to be replaced with apples or oh, carrots. Excellent. Something like I have that. Grapes Celery. And, I have grapes and a pear and clementines here for you, if you'd like. Oh, nice. Thank yes. you. Those are good choices. Yeah. Well, celery, they say uh, yeah. that when you eat celery, you're actually burning more calories. Right. Than- but that's because celery is like eating cardboard. So you have to think about that. That's okay. What You like celery? Like in general? I, I don't mind it with peanut butter. It's actually Right. Exactly. But peanut butter yeah. calories. But by the whatever. way, peanut butter is a good fat. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. It's high in protein. When I make peanut butter cookies, I tell people that they're, they're good. Cook- yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're I usually hold all protein. fat is good fat, but apparently- Avocados. The avocado is good fat. Yes. Steak, bad fat. Really? Yeah. The, the fat of the steak. Uh-huh. Yeah. You shouldn't be eating that. The skin <laughs> no, on the wings? Skin you shouldn't on the wings. Oh. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Okay. <laughs> you should have told me that yesterday. All right. Am I up to my number two? Yeah, you're number two. Uh, my number two is appropriate because we travel a lot here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make three adjustments to my flying. Okay. Number one, I'm going to wear compression socks because the swelling right. is very, is, it takes me a couple of days to get rid of the swelling. Okay. Number two, I'm going to take an aspirin. Four. Also reduces the okay. swelling. And number three is I'm actually going to walk around more on the plane, which is also, also a big deal. The yeah. Also reduces the swelling. So reducing swelling is a big key to you. Yes, it is a big it is a big key. I ever tell you about the story once is that we got off a plane. I had slept the entire flight and I couldn't put my shoes on when we landed. <laughs> wow. And I walked through JFK barefoot. Oh, so you take off your shoes. I take off my shoes, which One is right. Which is also a problem. Well, I bring a spare pair of socks. I do the whole thing. Right. Slippers. You're not one of those that take off your shoes and you got nothing else. No, on gosh, no, yeah. no. I don't want to come out of the off the plane with anything I didn't go on the plane with. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Is it my number one? Yeah, you're number one. So um, while I completely commend everyone who wants to up their workout schedule to four days a week, um, being that God rested on the seventh day, I only don't work out on Shabbos. So I'm up to six. Well, why can't you do like Mose Shabbos? Right. So not my thing. I okay. give myself a day off. That's okay. Fair. But I am going to change my running and try and run outside more. Now, the running experience on a treadmill versus running outside is actually a big difference. It's better for your knees, no? Is that a thing? Or it, maybe it, they're both bad for your knees? Well, if you ask 
um, my trainer, running in general, general is terrible for right. you. I agree with your trainer. Generable, by the way, is a combination of general and terrible. <laughs> um, right. Running in general is not good for you. The runner's high that you get after it, which is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, it is a clinical thing. And um, in addition to the fact that recent studies have shown or continued studies have shown I should say that running actually increases brain cell development. So people who are getting older in years are encouraged to start running because as brain cell development stops as you get older, running actually restarts it and increases it to a to a greater rate. Okay. So you should know that as you get older. But um, as a person who runs anyway, I'm going to try and run outside more as the fresh air, etc., is better than just being like, you know... a a, right, but how does this weeble. weather affect you? Um, I'm, so I'm not afraid of rain. Okay, like it doesn't that doesn't bother me. It's more that I run, at, I I exercise when it's dark outside. So running outside by myself right. is not intelligent. Um, so I'm going to have to make adjustment times to try and run outside as Would well. Would you prefer the Sunday. cold over meaning like the winter time? Starting that in the winter. Right. Remember, I don't like heat. Okay. I don't like the summer. I could never <laughs> live in Houston. Right, I like nice. snow. I love shoveling. All of this stuff makes me happy. Um, but yeah, so being outside in the cold doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Yeah. So are you going to start right. running outside, Yoni? No, no, I am not. Okay. And the reason beca- why, <laughs> yes. here's number one, I just wrote elliptical. Now, my apartment, apartment 4F in Washington Heights- Shout out to 4F. Will- uh, We'll get a huge box in front of their door in about a week or so because I decided to purchase an elliptical. Now, I kind of just wrote in our WhatsApp group. I said, buying an elliptical. Here's your new apartment, mate. Where I'm going to put it in the apartment, I have no idea. You have the headspace. You have the headroom for it, right? No. We have like not, no. I'm saying you, the ceilings are high enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but okay. like, I mean, me on, yeah, 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 yeah. They're regular ceilings. Okay. So in that sense, yes. But no real room. So like. We'll figure it out. I just, my hopes. I mean, I love the elliptical. Like whenever I do one of these random spurts of exercise, it's always elliptical and like mix in some like basketball because I like moving mm-hmm. around, whatever, and I enjoy play basketball. But the elliptical is definitely my favorite machine. And I was just like, you know what? I I hate coming back home from. I mean, I love work, mm. but coming back from work and it's Good just save. like all you want to do is 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 done with your day. And and I don't want to change into shorts and then go outside and walk. I mean, it's only two minutes to get to the YU gym, and I could work out there, but. Oh, I hate it. So I was like, you know what? I need to get an elliptical. Now I have no excuse. And I can literally watch TV. on. The, I can be on for an hour right. easily like, and just watch TV. And it's, and it's very easy to me. And I, I mean, thank God for the last few times that I've done it, I've actually lost weight because of it. So Can I give you two tips? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you should increase your protein. Yeah. True. Okay. That's... Working on that. I, I, I have, I'm starting a shopping list and like Good. eggs and chicken are Good. on Good. Eggs, chicken, tuna. fish. Lean. Right. Tuna here. Lean proteins. Right. Lean proteins. That's number one. And um, number two, you should in, you should add a weightlifting element to what you're doing. So the aerobic exercise, the cardio exercise right, is, is important, but will not change your body co- composition without the weights. What are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I think I'm speaking very directly in saying that if you add weights, and by the way, that could be, you know, you could start out with jugs of water. I'm not, right. like, we're not talking about a gym membership right. or buying more equipment. You have more equipment in your in your apartment than you realize. You also have your own body weight. So right. whether it's push-ups. I have my roommates. I could just lift them up. You totally lift your roommates. I'm right. sure there's somebody who could <laughs> sit on your back while you're doing push-ups. Right. Um, but I would add those two elements as well. All right. Much All right. appreciated. Sure. I'm here for useless information. You're here. All right. Well, uh, so that's 
us here at the Nachum Siegel Network, we are going to be working on getting healthier. Um, if you have any questions about getting healthier, don't ask me. Um, email Miriam, Miriam at NachumSiegel.com, Yoni at NachumSiegel.com, and I'll forward it to you, Miriam, because I probably can't answer them. But um, that's what we're trying to do here. And again, so Jamie's list was stretch every morning, eat healthier, work out four times a week, drink more water. You heard what Miriam and I had to say. And uh, wish us luck because I need it. She needs it. Everyone needs it. And uh, listen, maybe in a month from now, two months from now, uh, we'll have a little review and, and have good things to say. But that is this week's Top 4 to the Door, Top 4 Healthy Habits for 2017. And I'd like to thank all of y'all for spending the last two hours here with me on the Nachum Siegel Network. A reminder, you can check us out all over social media on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter, at Nachum Siegel Net, and on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network. Um, if you somehow missed on Facebook, Jamie Turkel, our social media t- coordinator, posted a top highlights of the 2016 year on the Nachum Siegel Network. I encourage you to check it out. I believe it's six minutes or so. It might actually be exactly six minutes, but check it out. A lot of good times all the way from last year's Kosher Halftime Show to um, to our trip to Venice, trips to Israel. Um, check it out. Only six minutes of your time, and it's a good recap and we've had plenty more, so it was tough to put all in six minutes, but a, definitely a good recap of what happened in the last year. And we hope that next year's video is has to be double the amount of time, if not more. So check that out. And again, if you haven't yet downloaded the NSN app, go ahead and do so. It's free on the iPhone, Google Play Store, iTunes. Check it all out. And uh, you can get all of our content while on the run. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'd like to wish you all a happy new year and remind you that the bite size is the right size.